0: Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me on another episode of the Right Way podcast program. It is I, your host, Samuel Elliott. Uh, Today, I am talking to Maya Linnell regarding her third novel. She's written two other novels, uh, Bottlebrush Creek and Wildflower Ridge. Uh, The one in which I'm going to be speaking to her about today is her third and latest, Magpies Bend. I just actually noticed then that they've all got, uh, they're all the names of places, actually. I think that's really cool as well. Uh, I just, just picked up on that then. So, Mail and L has, yes, written two other books, uh, all set within Australian settings, uh, all decidedly Australian stories. It was a bit... It felt like a very Australian story, I must say. The setting, uh, the people, the the food the meat pies the the general store uh, all of it smacked uh delightfully smacked of uh quaint con- country town so i'm really really excited to talk to Mayo about that because i believe a lot of um her upbringing and kind of where she's lived for the majority of her life has informed this this sort of small town sort of setting so I want you all to give a huge, big digital round of applause to uh, third-time novelist, uh, Maya Linnell, talking to me about her third and latest book, Magpies Bend. Maya Linnell, thank you so much to joining me on the Right Wave podcast program. How are you today?
1: Very well, thanks, Samuel. It's a pleasure to be here today.
0: Oh my God, it's so good to speak to you. Um, I've got so many questions. First and foremost, and I always like to start with this because it's... There's no two answers are the same and it's always a fascinating one, even though seemingly it seems pretty straightforward. Where did the idea for Magpie's Band generate from?
1: Yeah, well, there's quite a few different little threads of inspiration that kind mm-hmm. of wafted their way through the universe and, and found their way to me. I guess, first and foremost, because Magpie's Band, the main theme is the community coming together to save mm-hmm. their general store. Um, it's pretty safe to say that living in a small country town where the general store was under threat of closing, played a pretty big role in Magpies Bend coming to be.
0: Oh wow, so so that actually legit happened in your your experience in real life?
1: Well, not quite the same as I've put it together in Magpies Bend. Mm. So in our case, uh, new people took over the store um, and it all kind of moved relatively um, seamlessly. Whereas in my case, with Magpies Bend, we've got the town rallying together to to come up with different options and, and fundraisers to try and see if they can get this whole um, store consortium off the ground, whereas that was one of the options that was, I guess, um, reviewed when our little general store kind of went under threat. And it's a, it's a long story. The chap that used to run it um, had some, some personal problems and, you know, it was just easier for him to say, we're over. But, of course, for a small country town, once you lose that postal service, you don't get it back. Mm -hmm. So if you say, nope, we're shutting the shop here and everyone's just going to have to go 20 kilometres away to get their mail, they don't reinstate it. So Australia Post doesn't say, okay, well, now that the new person's opened the shop, let's put the post office back in. They just go, sorry, you're over. Your chance is done. Mm. So then we'd have to go into town if we wanted to get our parcels and we'd go into town, you know, just if you ran out of milk or bread, the general stores are so good for that little saving you driving to town for another extra trip. So, yeah, that did did play quite a role Mm. in working out You know, this is an issue. It doesn't just affect my community. It happens all over the place. So I kind of took that and I ran with it and I created all these different little things that went along with it that, um, you know, for me, they just came organically to kind of boost that main storyline.
0: It's interesting. And I did want to talk about the general store because I feel like if the citizens of Bridgefield are the lifeblood of the town, then the general store is the heart of it. And I was wondering about that because I really wanted to talk to you about it because it didn't just feel, I mean, aside from the inconvenience of having to go further to get your post. I mean, that—that that is, that is obviously naturally a serious inconvenience, but it felt like, and the way in which you would written it, it was so much more than just a general store. And I wanted you to talk a little bit about that because I mean, like, obviously, Lara, her, her parents met there, um, the way in which Lara and Toby meet, I mean, is this, in this beautiful introduction, is kind of like telling us so much of, or showing us of, so, without so much telling us as to what their professions are. Anyway, I'm going on a tangent. But I did find that was like this main sort of thing that I felt um, intrigued you and you wanted to capture what this sort of symbolizes like a general store like this for a small town like Ridgefield. Tell me a little bit about that, Matt.
1: Yeah, thanks, Samuel. I'm so glad that you got that sense that that was so much more because it is. It is a meeting place. Mm. It's a spot that, um, you know, parents will bump into one another and say, oh, by the way, you know, can, can we organise a playdate for the kids or can we borrow some of, you know, you, you've mentioned you've got an excess of tomatoes. Well, I'm about ready to make some sauce. Can I borrow some? Uh, there's all these beautiful little community connections. And another thing that, um, you know, I remember as a kid growing up in a really small country town And we were seven kilometres from that very small country town. So a trip to the general store was a bit of an occasion. You know, it broke up the day. You knew that there was going to be breakfast. You knew that there was going to be a trip to get the mail and collect the newspapers and the bread. Um, So it kind of had this beautiful purpose of, you know, a structure to your day as well, something to look forward to. And just like in the Bridgefield um, general store that I've created completely off the top of my head, You know, there's those lovely little things like opportunities for people to gain work experience and have that first job that's not high pressure because they know the people. Um, It's also a spot where it's a bit of a, I shouldn't say rite of passage because that's the wrong word, but when you're in a small store and you've got a three-year-old that puts a Kinder Surprise in their pocket your general store owner is going to be a lot more sympathetic and just let you know really gently without calling the cops to say, hey, look, I just noticed that, you know, as, as you left, that, um, the lugs put a little thing in his pocket, no stress, just get him to, um, to drop it back. If, if you could, And you know, I've, I've had that situation with my toddler. Um, I remember as a child being that same sticky fingered little child that went, Ooh, nobody's watching me. I might just put that in my pocket. and it's that real country vibe that people are looking out for one another and you just, you you just know that um, it's going to be dealt with nicely and sympathetically. Also, if there's new people coming to town and, you know, my husband and I have moved a bit for his work. So we've had a few different new towns and that general store person, they connect people like they're real connectors. They know what's going on. They've got, um, you know, in my story, I've got Mrs. Beggs, who's not hmm. the best at confidentiality. But generally, the general store owners have got, um, you know, a real finger on the pulse of what happens. And if there's an emergency, you want them to know what's going on and who can help.
0: You mentioned there as well, this, we mentioned quite a few things I want to unpack, but you mentioned one thing there in particular, which I thought was quite good, and it's sort of aligned a with the, the way in which I interpreted and I kind of wanted to ask you about, but this, the, this notion of the, the country vibe, yeah, and uh, this, in that regard, I kind of felt that the general store was sort of emblematic of the spirit of the town. And when that was uh, then jeopardized, it showed, and I wanted to talk a little bit about how the township then rallied to do everything they possibly could quite selflessly uh, using you know any sort of means that they disposed on resources available to them. Tell me a little bit about that, this theme about how a, a township will rally together in this sort of spirit and the, how that was sort of exemplified within the case of obviously what happened within Magpies Bend and the General Store.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Sam, you one of the best things about living in that small country town is that if someone's child is really sick, then you will have that automatic roster of people who will say, okay, I'm going to mow their lawns. I'm going to be in charge of um, preparing hot meals. I'm going to pick up their mail or drop their kids off to school. There's this really beautiful um, network so of support. Yeah. And, that's amazing. We, we just kind of get used to it and that's how things happen. Um, mm. and, and that's how they've, I guess, always happened in, in the small country towns because you don't necessarily have that huge population base mm. or necessarily have all your family living, you know, in the one small area to be able to help out like that. So, You do. You get used to relying on one another and taking that generosity when it's offered. Some people are really good at that. Some people abuse that. Some people just do it really beautifully. So I think that community spirit is something that we see in sporting clubs, in small schools, um, where everybody just has to pitch in to kind of get things done. So I I love that aspect of country living. And Mm. as much as sometimes people might feel like they're living in a fishbowl, there are so many great um upsides to having that close-knit community
0: mm, absolutely i mean like that shines through and um there was an interesting i noticed there was a bit of like, it wasn't a foreword, but it was a description of you at the start of the novel and i was talking about how uh your own small town upbringing and obviously where you live informed so much of of your of your writing or what you want to do and i wanted you to talk a little bit about how you actually captured because the one of the strongest points i felt about uh my plus band was just how lovingly, um, gorgeously realised it, it is described as a town. And I wondered for you if that was, if that came naturally, if that was easy, because obviously you're, you're around that. I mean, I kind of live vicariously through your Instagram and all your amazing posts of all these verdant, kind of McCulloch, sunny meadows and stuff like that and all these incredible sites. Did you find that it's is it easy to then capture that? Because it's, you know, the awesomeness of the Australian and it really is a distinct Australian story. I'll say that in the intro as well. Was that easy for you or was was it something that you kind of had to work for?
1: Yeah, look, um, that is very nice of you, Samuel. I feel um, really touched that that shines through as um, as one of the strengths of the story because it is. It is one of those things for me that it, it's like breathing to be able to Look out my window and go, okay, well, right now, as we speak, I'm looking at lots of green grass, I'm looking at trees. I know that if I opened the door, if it wasn't freezing outside, I'd be opening the door and I would hear those birds going straight past my window of my office, you know, chirping away. I'd probably hear the chickens when it's laying time. You know, there's a particular time of the day when those chickens are clucking away, and you know that there's going to be fresh, warm eggs in there if you trundle downstairs. Um, and I've got, you know, we've got the sheep in the paddock, we've got the cows in the paddock, we're chatting to the neighbours' cows. All those things are just so easy for me to capture because they're just right here on my mm. doorstep. Um, and even the smells, I can close my eyes and I can instantly see um, the track that Lara's walking along, uh, running along, sorry, because she's a runner. Mm. I can see that track that she's running along and I can see her greeting the cows as she's going along in the dawn and she she knows they're there. She can hear them shuffling. They can't see her, but they can hear her. So she's used to falling into that rhythm. Her, the road, the cows, it's a good morning start. So, yeah, it, look, it is. It is a pretty nice position to be in where that's all here just for the taking.
0: That's so good. And like, I feel like that shines through, like, like it's, yeah. I, I remember when I said like it was lovingly captured, I was, I was exquisitely captured, but I think that that shines through your passion, your love of, of this, this landscape. And I think that's to, to your credit and that really served you quite well with, with describing it. Let's, so we've talked a little bit about the setting and the general store, which is kind of like uh, kicks off uh, really the the main um, sort of uh sp- sp- storyline. I want to talk a little bit about family as well, because another thing that was very strong, obviously, is the sense of place and the sense of family. Uh, really good uh, families as well. And there's interesting because then there's also kind of the, the, the not so good but still supportive family of like the Kingsleys for, for that, which we kind of won't go into just yet. But I wanted you to talk a little bit about the sense of family. Again, this all sort of harkens back to this very unique Australian sort of uh, family. Um, tell me a little bit about that because that's kind of another thing that really shone through for me. Why is that so important to define a character with family?
1: Yeah, well, when I set up the, um, in my mind, when I started the, the books and I started out with Penny who is the, the main character in Wildflower Ridge and then followed that through with Angie in my second book, Bottlebrush Creek and of course, Lara's story is magpie's Bend, but i I knew I wanted to have a big farming family because mm. I'm one of four children, and you know we know exactly what's going on in in each of the other one's lives, whether mum's letting us know whether dad's letting us know or they're letting us know. We all know what's going on, um, and so I love the idea of exploring this close knit family that does have the differing characters mm. and they do have their own different um, strengths and weaknesses and Considering, you know, the McIntyre sisters have lost their mum as well, that does play quite a dynamic in the fact that Angus is a patriarch of the family for his four daughters. He's just this wonderful dad. And I know so many different, um, you know, so many different families that have got these wonderful strengths and wonderful weaknesses and you blend them all together and my dad always said you can pick your nose but you can't pick your family so i kind of like that theory that you're all in it together and you've got to work out a way to you know kind of get along and and when that doesn't happen well then the sparks fly and and there's all sorts of drama that spins off from there so i kind of just wrapped all those things together and um there was my mcintyre family and each different book has obviously different sets of in-laws or the the male character brings his own baggage, his own relationships. Um, So it's been, it's been a lot of fun to kind of just weave my way in and and put in little whispers of inspiration of stories that I've heard from friends um, that have had different dynamics with their in-laws or in with, you know, their siblings. It just kind of it's a lot of fun to be had kind of playing with families and giving them situations that make them explode and and make them come together.
0: I mean, there is that there's, there's definitely that. I mean, there's, 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 there's the brighter elements, you know, and the scenes that we find throughout. There's also the, this, you know, constant um, unfailing sense of support throughout. Uh, Cause, cause we get the impression kind of early on with what you, what you slowly sort of um, revealed tickets there of, is that obviously Lara's undergone or endured some god-awful crisis which you kind of reveal and i kind of don't want to talk too much about because i feel that's going to verge into spoilers but i wanted you to again kind of maybe just delve a little bit more into about what it is that a family can enjoy what you wanted to depict that they can help us prevail through uh situations where we might not really be able to without their kind of uh, unspoken support and just guidance there tell me a little bit about that and how that prevailed throughout
1: yeah, well, Lara was this character that um, she ruffled a few feathers in the first book. And I had people that would write to me and say, I loved the book, but jeez, I hated Lara. I really didn't like her. Wow. And, okay. Yeah, so she was quite a polarising character in the first book. And, you know, as the book unfolds, we understand the reasons for maybe some of her prickly behaviour. And we do dive into that mm. in Magpies Bend. So I wanted to have that you know, that really nice juxtaposition of her being a nurse. She's got mm. this nurturing job. She's got this wonderful close-knit family. She's got a bit of trauma. Um, what happens when she tries to move on and what's stopping her? And, of course, you've got the family that is there and they're backing her the whole way, even when she thinks she doesn't deserve it, mm. even when she thinks she's letting them down and her mother's memory down. And even when she's got all this different pressure coming at her from so many different angles, um, who's there to back her up? That's her family. Mm -hmm. So in this beautiful McIntyre family that I've created, I really like how she's got that beautiful support network. And, you know, there's a scene that I really, I mean, I enjoyed writing so many of those scenes, but one of the scenes that springs to mind right now is there's a birthday party Mm -hmm. and Lara's seen by so many people um in the community is the prickly one the one that's just that sore thumb that sticks out amongst these you know um really approachable easygoing magnetites so she's the one that's just the odd one out. but in her nephew's minds, she is the absolute party planner extraordinaire you know they they just think she's amazing and these different little strengths that perhaps she can't see that um really all go together to form her character so that was a lot of fun to kind of see how her family sees her and how they can recognize some of her strengths that she can't even notice
0: it's so interesting that you mentioned that as well because obviously like with the 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 person saying they hate they hated it hates a strong word but um (laughs) i mean so did you find that that was because obviously when you originally wrote her in the first book then you wouldn't have had uh well maybe you would and that's kind of like what i'm going to ask now is did you know that one day you would uh, then delve into her? Was it a character that you maybe at the time kind of, oh no, you're nodding. Okay, right. Sorry, sorry. Mrs. Um, man's nodding. But um, so that you always knew that you were going to come because then it's like, you know, like darkness and light, hot and cold. So you're going from one kind of different perspective to a completely different. Was that fun? Was that daunting? Was that something that you were always planning on doing anyway? How did that go about? Uh, tell me.
1: Yeah. So when I wrote the first book and started pitching it out to, out to publishers, when I spoke with Annette Barlow, who's my wonderful publisher at the very fabulous Alan Unwin, she said, are you planning on writing in this genre for quite some time? Mm. And I said, absolutely. I've put four sisters in this book because I have all the intentions of writing four books that each one of these books featuring each one of these sisters. So in a way I knew I was going to be with these McIntyre sisters for the long haul. And uh, she was happy with that. And I was happy with that. So I knew that Lara's time to shine would come mm. and it was quite nice having people say, oh, no, I didn't like Lara. And I thought, well, that, A, that's going to make it a bit of a challenge to write Magpie's Bend because, you know, what if people still don't like her by then? Mm. But between the first book and the second book, we saw well, that bit more insight into, you know, who she is, why she does what she does and the different strengths that she brings to the table in that family And then the third book is just, you know, here's your party, Lara. Let's, let's have fun with it and see what we can do.
0: Excellent. Look, tell me a little bit about, because we've talked about characters. I didn't, uh, that's, that's really cool. Like I can't believe that you, that you, from the outset, you had that like intention that one day you're going to do that, that there was going to be, you know, each book, bang, 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 four sisters in in terms of, of your planning there. My my, my hat goes off to you. That's uh, I'm way more of a, a hopeless pantser than that. But um. (laughs) <laughs> Look, while we're still talking about characters, it was one of the I must say, uh, in recent times, I haven't encountered a novel with so many uh, animal characters that I was like, oh, my God, they've got such a strong personality, yeah? Um, Vegemite, Basil, uh, all, all these particular um, animal characters, yeah? Because animals themselves, bar maybe some more sort of, um, you know, kid-friendly, like anthropomorphic talking talking characters and those sort of books, they're not really seen all that much a lot of the time. But I wanted you to talk, actually, it's completely gone on a tangent just because I really enjoyed those characters. But I want you to talk about one particular character, Eddie, from the shop, because I really, from the general store, because I really, 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 what I liked uh, a lot, is that, because I still feel uh, Down syndrome characters, sorry listeners, I haven't really explained that at all well. Um, Eddie is a, a Down syndrome boy that was was working at the general store and obviously this is naturally threatened when, um, uh, when the general store is threatened. I don't want to go too much into that either in give spoiler's way. But I wanted to talk about that moment because it didn't feel like it wasn't contrived. It wasn't like, oh, this, th- this person is Down syndrome, therefore we need to include him. It just felt organic and I felt like yeah, it just kind of maybe happened seamlessly for you without you kind of putting too much thought much into it. I just want you to talk a little bit about Eddie and all that.
1: Yeah, absolutely, Samuel. And I think, um, I think it is really nice to be able to include different issues in my story, whether mm. they're um, farming family succession problems, whether they're... Um, domestic violence whether they're characters with disability that are living great lives now Eddie was formed he was a little bit of an amalgamation of a couple of um, little inspirations Mm. so he was in the first book and he's the brother of the main male character in the first book Tim and so when Tim bounced on the page I, I wanted him to have a brother and all of a sudden because my sister had come home from London with a lovely boyfriend and his name was Eddie and his brother had down syndrome and the way that Eddie from London spoke about his brother was just such tenderness Mm. and he was um it was just a beautiful relationship so we never met um Eddie's brother and you know Eddie went back to England and we've never heard from him again after then Mm. but um I had that that was the first little snippet and then when we were building our house The chap who came and helped with a few different jobs, so laying the floorboards, I'm I'm sitting in my office right now and I'm looking at these floorboards that, you know, I was on my hands and knees helping this builder lay. We were working together. And, you know, when you've got hours and hours and hours to do things like lay floorboards, you've got a lot of conversation ground to cover. And at that stage, I was writing the very first draft of my very first book, Wildflower Ridge, and he was telling me about his brother with Down syndrome And so he, um, this chap's the same age as my dad and his brother was uh, maybe 15 years younger than him. So quite, quite an age for Mm. somebody that has down syndrome. But again, the way that he would speak about his brother and the joy that he would bring to their life and their family as a whole was so tender and so beautiful that, you know, it was, it was quite easy for me to then Mm. give Tim, um, a brother called Eddie who had, Down syndrome and he is just this beautiful spark um, with his beautiful smile and his amazing happy-go-lucky attitude because you know he doesn't get bogged down in the nitty-gritty he is happy to show up and help out at the store and help make pies because the store has this beautiful specialty of these homemade pies and it's a different pie every day of the week so you know i really loved popping him in there because, um, he, he came with the territory. He just came with the story as, as I was writing it.
0: Look, I, yeah, I can, I, I can see, I knew it'd be something like that. I knew it'd be some sort of organic, like, you know, cause obviously you're, you're very much, um, a magpie if I may, in terms of selecting <laughs> like, you know, like little bits. It's, it, it, I mean, it informs great writing, so it makes perfect sense that you've done it. And so it's, 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 it's wonderful that you have, I also looked at the acknowledgements, and I like that you. I like that you you preface that by saying that you love reading acknowledgements. I don't too. I think I, I, I think that's like a weird thing. I don't know. I don't know. If, I don't know if it's because I'm a writer as well, or I, I just don't know if people really do it a lot of the time. Um, but to kind of uh, what I saw there as well, and I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about it. And this is kind of like what from the outset, it it seems that it's all sun shining. Obviously, very sun dappled. You know, Bridgefield. But there is darkness there and there is, there is, you know, there is, there is some, you know, some kind of ongoing traumas. And I want you to talk a little bit about that now, because I I wanted you to mention, you mentioned in the acknowledgements about you, you dedicated it as well. You dedicated the novel to strong women. Uh, You'd experienced, or you you noticed, you worked for a communications, you did communications for a healthcare agency. And you were mentioning that in the acknowledgements as well. And this kind of also informed some of the kind of like, the darker aspects of the story, which, you know, kind of woven in there. I want you to talk a little bit about that as well.
1: Yeah, definitely, Sam. Um, One of the things that I was working with this communications agency and they Mm. did the the activism for, what was it, the 11 days of... Activism. I think that was the the catchphrase for one of the campaigns that they worked on, which was about domestic violence and really raising awareness and distributing these um, shopping bags to the IGA supermarkets that had all the um, things about respect and women. And so while I was working in that role, it was only a couple of days a week and Mm. it was before Wildflower Ridge came out. So I was in the drafting editing stage, the final edits of Wildflower Ridge. Um, but I didn't mean for that to be such a big theme in Lara's life, Mm. but it just naturally kind of oozed out of me because I was consuming this content through work. Um, Mm. and I also have some friends that have dealt with some incredible situations and been so resilient in the way that they have, um, gotten out of these situations that have not been conducive to any type of harmony, um, And they've just done a really good job of, um, I guess, sharing their stories with different people that have been, you know, support networks for them. Uh, And there's just so much that goes on behind the scenes, I think, with these strong women that you might not know. And, yeah, so I've had the friends, a couple of different friends that have dealt with these issues. And it's just incredible what they all put up with and the way that they all bounce back. So... I couldn't help but kind of combine those two couple of little factors there to, you know, put them together into be Lara's backstory. And she has. She has had a really rough trot um, and she's come out the other side and she's done a really good job of, you know, setting herself up and, and dealing with these different issues and this different baggage that she's got. But, you know, you can, you can deal with that, but you can't just bury that all together, whether mm-hmm. it comes back in the form of, um, you know, the way that your children will deal with that or the different family issues and, and the Kingsleys, as you mentioned, they are an, a whole different entity to themselves. So that's her ex-husband's family. And people have got long memories. And, and so when people don't necessarily be supportive and process that type of trauma the way that you would hope they would help you you know, through that, then that's really kind of going to put an X on their head, isn't it? As a bit of a target to, mm. to be someone that they're never going to be thrilled with.
0: I felt that it was well done in terms of just showing that it was, it was still there. Like it was, it was never at the foreground. It was never gratuitous and you never kind of like dragged it out, but it was, it was there. Like there was an undercurrent of that. And I feel like that's having obviously not gone through it myself, but I could, I still can appreciate that, that that was, that was done like that. Sorry. Sorry. You go.
1: Can I say that I, I never really wanted it to be, um, slapping people in the face with, mm. you know, here's a book and here's the issues and you need to sit up and read this and feel like you're being preached to or yep. you're having a sermon. It's not going to have you sobbing into your, you know, pillow every night that you pick it up because, you know, I've read uh, just like you, Samuel, I loved to read. I read so widely in all different genres. And some books you can pick up and it just, they'll wrench your heart out and they can be so heavy mm. <laughs> on And when you go to sleep at night, you wake up at 2 a.m. and think, oh, God, just remembering, you know, whatever it was that was in the content in the book. And I didn't want it to be like that. I wanted it to be something that Lara has, um, you know, been through and she survived. But I didn't want it to be front and center of the whole story. So it was a bit of a balancing act trying to get that right. But, you know, in my mind, I still feel like people will read the story and feel uplifted rather than dragged down.
0: Yeah, 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 absolutely. Oh, sorry, I don't want to give that impression that it was just like, like right. non-stop, non-stop, um, what's the sub misery porn type thing. No, it never felt like that at all. That's what I was kind of trying to say. It was, it was, there was, there was an undercurrent that it did occasionally flare up naturally. But no, no it never it never, it never felt like, like that um, at all. No, not at all. Um, look, for two people that live in a, a quiet-ish town, they have a lot that goes on in their lives and i want you to talk a little bit about this because the main thing i liked is that like the love the desire the the want for romantic is or you know building it was building but it was kind of like just because there was so much going on with this with the the general store with what toby's going on with um, his journalistic endeavors and the photography all this sort of stuff and it was almost like that the love is building but there's, there's just so much going on. And I feel like you did that deliberately because I feel like that's getting readers to then go, well, you know, we just, we want the love. We want the love now. And you're like, no, you have to, you have to wait. You know, it's like um, Willy Wonka. What is it? What is it? The anticipation's unbearable. I hope it never ends. Something like that. <laughs> is it something like that? Tell, tell me, tell me, look, tell me the secrets.
1: That's a great way of looking at it. Yeah, look, you definitely... Um... When you pick up my novels, they are—they they fall, I think they waver between the rural fiction and the rural romance categories. Mm-hmm. It's um, because it's not out and out, outwardly romance, it's, you know, it's definitely got that thread throughout. We've got that um, and it's not too much of a spoiler to say that if you pick up the book, you'll know that there's going to be a happily ever after or a happily for now because that is, you know, generally the the genre mm. and i think it works nicely because you do you have these issues these topical issues we have these rural issues and then we have the relationships because i think everyone wants to be loved don't they even yeah. if you yeah yeah i think no matter what position you are in your life you want to be loved in some way shape or form and she's got the love of her family she's got the love of her beautiful daughter but when her daughter's away at boarding school, you know, it's quite a solitary life for poor Lara. So mm. the thought that that whole general store would also be ripped out and there's that whole community connection that's possibly just going to go down the drain. Otherwise it really motivates her to, to work on this project.
0: Yeah, spot on. And you're, you're right. I mean, like everyone, everyone does want to be loved. And um, I mean, I haven't read, I haven't read much um rural Raw Australian fiction. I will now come in mean, like you're, you're, this was the first foray into it, and you know I really, really enjoyed it. Um, but I'm I'm totally like, I know the the man before you that's got the the cat shirt on and the you know the sleeve tattoo sleeves probably doesn't look like they're really into romance and stuff like that. I actually am. Um, like you mentioned before, I don't like I like you. I read very widely, very disparate genres and stuff like that, and I do love totally do love me some Nicholas Sparks and stuff like that. From one time I went to go and get one from a Salvo's. And the lady, like the old lady that was working there, she like picked it up and she's like, oh, this is one of these kissy kissies. And I'm like, yes. And she's like, well, who's that for? Is that for your girlfriend? I'm like, no, it's for me. And she gave me like a really weird look and that kind of curved the conversation there. But I was like, you know, but yeah, with yours, I mean, like you mentioned that, I mean, there's, there's the balance of the rule and the romance. I mean, yeah, like it's, it's, it's not like it's just going to center around that. But I did like, and I did think that you juggled that really well in terms of like these two people with these very, very busy lives and how the love sort of builds. And what I kind of also want you to talk about as well. And I was trying to think of like a better analogy to say this, which is kind of like more apt. The only way I can find it, and I, I wanted to know about the delaying of the kiss. You know, the way everyone wants the kiss. Everyone wants the kiss really early on. Everyone's like, oh my God, like they're perfect. They're both beautiful. Like it'd be just such a nice melty moment. And obviously, Melanie, I was like, no, that's not happening anytime soon. And the way I kind of liken that, and the only way I could possibly think of this analogy is like Steven Spielberg talking about Jaws, where he's like delay seeing the shark as much as possible until you know you can bear it no longer. Tell me a little bit about that. Was that, was that your Jaws moment, the most <laughs> terrible analogy to describe to the delaying of the, that, that kiss?
1: Well, Samuel, I haven't had someone liken the novels to Jaws yet, but look, I'll take that. I think that's great. It's
0: just um, the analogy for that. It was, it, was, it, was <laughs> it was terrible, it was terrible, it was terrible. The novels are very different.
1: Well, yes, I think um, for me, I don't write steamy novels. So Mm. uh, I guess on the romance factor, mine's quite low and you'd call it, you'd call it closed door because there's no sex scenes. Mm. There's no, um, you know, there's no saucy language. There's a couple of swear words, but there's, you know, they're not in relation to anything romantic. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, look, for me, I... I wanted to see that relationship building up between Tony and Mara, and I didn't want it just to be for the for the wow factor or for yep. the uh, you know the cheap thrills. In a way, like I really wanted to make sure that those characters um, they had a fair few hurdles to get towards before they got anywhere near thinking about kissing each other as well. So you know, you do you do want your characters to work for it because you want it to be that authentic relationship building, um, and with what they've had in their past, there's a fair. Fair path to travel before they get there.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, and, and you're right. I mean, like it's not the it's not the crux of the novel, it's just it's just something that's building, and everyone wants to to see it happen. Um, with the characters, obviously, because some of you've introduced, some some of the, some have been around for a while. Do you find that that they've they change during the during the writing of like you know you might have had an idea in your head originally for how they were going to go within the first novel, and then having you know embarked on writing magpie's band have completely (coughs) changed or not done what you wanted to in the best possible way or the worst possible way how's that kind of work for you i'm always so interested when it comes to like multi kind of uh, novel characters that kind of carry across like that
1: yeah well one of the tricky things is you've got to try and keep track of what color people's eyes are what color like from a technical perspective um you know i just wrote i'm working on book number four and i've got no idea what color the main character's eyes are. It's like, oh, I'm going to have to go, I need to go and look back in the first book, I need to get the PDF out and do a search for the word eyes so that I can find out what character has this colour eyes because you do, you lose track of those little nitty-gritty things and, and they are important because for me, I write them a year apart, you know, and they're on the shelves a year apart. Mm. But some people will go out and buy Magpie's Bend and yep. get their first copy of Wildflower Ridge and mm-hmm. their first copy of Bottlebrush Creek in the same purchase. And so for me, that's a little bit tricky because they are a lot more current at looking at those three novels consecutively and binge reading the whole thing in one go. And I have had people that, you know, they are so keen, they're, they're locked in for release day to be at the supermarket door so that they can get all three books at the same time. Same, that's good. It, it is. It's so lovely. Um, But for me, that presents that little challenge of making sure that, oh, I need to have these things consecutive. So I've got a bit of a master list, which, you know, I need to find and pull up again before I release book number four into my editor's hands, just so that I can kind of tick up those things. But in the terms of, you know, their occupations and stuff like that, You can write a whole first draft, and then when you get to the second draft, you can completely change the occupation. You know, Lara is relatively set in stone because I mentioned right in the first book that she was a bush nurse. Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. So she works at a bush nursing centre. If anyone doesn't know what that is, it's just one of those jack-of-all-trades medical centres that you go to to get your leg ulcers, you know, wrapped or to pick up new medication and, and things like that. Lots of country towns have those instead of hospitals because, you know... 20, 30 minutes away from the nearest hospital, but they still need some type of medical infrastructure where they are. Mm -hmm. So her her career was set and I did toy with the idea of changing her to a truck driver for this book. Mm -hmm. So as I was writing book two, I was chatting with one of the mums at cricket. So her son plays cricket with my son and she's just thrown in her job um, as a photographer to drive trucks. And I thought, oh wow, that'd be cool. When I write book number three, I'm gonna make Lara a female truck driver because of course you don't see much of that and you don't, um, you know, all those challenges that come with it. But I didn't, I didn't end up going there. I kind of started writing that in the first draft and then the story took a different direction. So out with the truck and kept her as a bush nurse.
0: Man, that's so good. It's, it's, It's always interesting to hear like how it changes and kind of like, I guess what we're verging into now, is the crux of what I always like to talk about with the, or the kind of the right way is found on, which is talking about like the biggest challenge or obstacle that you yourself have had to face to kind of keep writing. So it doesn't have to necessarily be before you were publish. It can be with this book. It can be with any of, but what, what is it mayor that you, for you was a standout where you kind of like maybe had like a real sort of um, Existential crisis, self doubt moment. And you sort of uh, persevered and prevailed. How did you? How did that come about? And how did you get through that?
1: Well, there's always a stage in each of my books that I've released so far that I've gone, "Oh my goodness, what have I done? How can I call myself a writer? What is this tripe?" And you know, at the moment, working on book four, um, I'm in the process of. Second draft, so just kind of refining what I've got for that content. And I'll look at it and I'll go, If anybody picked this up right now, they would go, How can this girl have had three books published? This is just a mess. This is, there's stuff everywhere. There's loose plot lines. There's characters with different coloured eyes per chapter. You know, there's all this type of junk that, you know, I need to work on to make it into a story. And then with Magpie's Bend, I wrote it. We had, you know, obviously pandemic, mass problems last year with the, with the pandemic and the lockdown and I've got three children. So there's a lot of online learning that's been going on. Um, and when I sent that draft of Magpies Bend through to the publisher, I remember saying, I called up, you know, after a month and I hadn't heard back as to whether it was okay, whether it was going to be accepted um, as, you know, the book for 2021. And you do, you doubt yourself and these little fears come in. And, and, I, and I do remember calling up and saying, oh, I'm really worried. I think you're going to hate it and I might need to rewrite it. And I just, I'm really worried. And she said, Maya, calm down, calm down. It's fine. It all flows. Any problems, we can ease out in the editing mm-hmm. problem process. There's not, you know, there's nothing terrible in there that makes sense. But there was a whole plot line that I cut out in the structural draft which I knew had a few holes. There are a few holes that I know and usually your editors point out things that you generally have a bit of a sense in your stomach that was a bit crap anyway. Um, And then when I wrote Bottle Brush Creek and it was just about to be published in 2020, I had this moment just before it was released, just before the first reviews come in. So it was done, it was dusted. I wasn't able to change it. But I had this real crisis of confidence where I thought, what if people hate it? People loved my first book and it did really well. It hit some bestseller lists. And what if that's the only good book I'll ever write?
0: Oh, God. Oh.
1: And, and book number two is not 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 a carbon copy of book number one. So mm-hmm. what if they hate it? So you do, you have those moments and... I think the way that I've gotten through that is having lovely, supportive family. Like my husband talks me off a ledge all the time. say, Maya, it's fine. It's fine. It's great. So he's taken to reading my work now when it's in a stage where I'm happy to show it um, to him. I send my stories to my mum. She is just amazing. Biggest cheerleader ever. So she will always, even if something's terrible, she'll always tell me it's wonderful, which is, you know, both good and bad. I've got a beautiful neighbour who I go for walks on the beach with. Um, we just walk down the paddock and go along the beach. And that's, you know, it's usually about six o'clock in the morning. It's pitch black outside. We can see the waves. We can see the ocean. And we, we will talk about these completely fictional characters and their fictional problems. And, you know, she will say, well, that sounds completely reasonable. Yep. Yep. I would. That, that makes sense to me. So you know, I do. I do talk over storylines with different people at different you know stages of the story, and luckily, it seems to come together into something that people like reading.
0: Oh my goodness, that's so good! Um, first of all, the sounding board, the, the morning walk sounding board, um, n- neighbor friend is wow. That's 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 invaluable. That's excellent. That's so good to hear. I'm not surprised and that you, you mentioned- know that she. Oh, sorry, you got.
1: And she actually also is an amazing cook. So she will bring over, like a couple of weeks ago, she dropped over this beautiful warm loaf of bread with some onion jam, like beautiful chutney relish thing that she'd made. And when I was knee deep in the the final read through of Magpie's Bend, she brings these beautiful, um, what are they, cream puff, profiterole things? Profiterole, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She brings over a delivery of these beautiful, freshly made things. And, you know, I love to bake, but I love eating someone else's freshly baked gorgeousness as well. So she has this immaculate timing where she will just deliver amazing things right when I need it the most. So between my husband helping with the the baking and the listening to the storyboard and the, you know, reading through it for technical errors and the neighbour and my mum and my nana who's 93 who reads it and says that's good when's the next one that's about as much you know as i'll get from my nana but it, it's it's wonderful I'm, I'm really lucky to have this great community
0: oh my god that's such a good network of people and um man that food that you just described then because there's another thing that i didn't even really like talk too much about but it, like the, the descriptions of food in the book i was like yum i'm not i myself am not vegetarian so like descriptions of meat and stuff i'm like yum like absolutely yum it's because it's, it's not it's not actually something all that you know people eat because they have to but you know to actually describe it well it's not actually always kind of that easy I think um so yeah no oh yum and I was like yeah like I said it's so good sorry I'm getting hungry now because like I haven't eaten lunch <laughs> so, yeah just to just to let you know I'm hoping that my tummy grumbling is not getting picked up on the um on the audio there but yeah and it's so interesting to hear that you mentioned about the um because I, I I hear that so much in terms of the your debut novel being hugely well-received. And then there's this, you know, really scary kind of um, uh, the follow-up, the follow-up as well, particularly like what you mentioned, like, you know, if it's something that's not a carbon copy, you know, even if it is a carbon copy, even if it is a carbon copy, it might not get, you know, as well-received or, you know, if it's not a carbon copy, people go, oh, I like the first one, didn't like that. So it's all really tough. And I'm glad to hear that you've got such a good supportive network like that. So what I wanted to end with, I want to ask you, what advice would you give to yourself as a writer when you were starting out?
1: I think that perseverance and keeping on going because mm. it's really tempting just to go, oh, well, I've had a knockback from a, an agent or a publisher. That's it. I'm done. I just can't, can't handle the pressure. If that's your mindset, then, you know, great. You can continue writing in your bedroom and it just stays in the bottom drawer of your cupboard or on your hard drive but um, I think yeah just encouraging myself to have that perseverance and luckily I'm a pretty determined person so you know I do I do have that um, enthusiasm to keep going and to keep trying so I think that really served me well. I think probably sometimes I need to remember that just because somebody didn't enjoy the book doesn't necessarily mean that I'm a, I'm a bad person or a bad mm-hmm. writer. I think sometimes it's easy to get caught up in looking at bad reviews and letting it kind of really get you down. But mm-hmm. not everyone's going to like what I like. Not every book that you like, Samuel, will be one that I'll pick up and go, wow, fantastic read. So there's all those different things that logical brain says, yes, Maya, we've all got different tastes. We've all got different baggage that we'll bring to a book. When we're reading it, whether we're in a great mood or whether we're in the middle of lockdown, you know, it will certainly impact on how you receive it. But I think separating myself from the actual books, once they're, they're written, they're done and out into the world and I can't control mm. how they're received thereafter. Luckily for me, you know, there's been so many people that have loved the books and they've, they've done really well. Um, but still sometimes it can be tricky to just remind myself that you can't always please everyone.
0: No, you can't. It's true. It's so subjective. And like, I mean, that does get repeated to death, like, oh, subjectivity, subjectivity. And even the way you described it then in terms of like, oh, depending upon the person's mood. It's the same with like getting stuff out there and submitting it in the first place. Yeah, it really depends upon a person's mood. Lockdown definitely doesn't help. Mm. Um, And yeah, what one person might think is man book or whatever, another person might not um, not get into. It is a really interesting one like that. But um, I, for one, I'm certainly glad that you... Had the the you know that um that peace of mind to to keep going and saying no you know being determined and it's good to hear that you, you know you you did uh, have that that point where there might have been you know plagued by self doubt but you you push through and you've obviously surrounded yourself with a really lovely network of of people incredibly supportive and stuff like that and acting as soundboard so that's that's really good to hear Maya but um look thank you so much for coming and talking to me today I really really enjoyed Magpies, bed I, I have it's been a long time since I've read uh, anything remotely of the this, of this sort of genre. I sort, like I said, I haven't read country um, before, but I'm definitely going to start getting into it now. But look, it's been an absolute joy talking to you today and hearing about your craft and the writing of Magpie's Pen.
1: Thank you so much, Samuel. It's been great um, listening to your podcast as well, as well as being on your podcast. That is fantastic. I was tuning into your one um, about the tipping with Anna George. and the- Yes, sexting the scandal and oh that was a good interview so really thank you enjoying, oh my god that's know,
0: so the- nice of you that's seriously so nice of you thank you like i'm seriously loving the people listening to it and it's just like it's just this is this it's i'm so priv- privileged to be able to talk to so many cool people such as yourself and no two are ever the same no one's process is ever the same you know there's similarities and there's things that kind of align where you go you know but it's good in that people go oh okay you know every single person uh, I've spoken to has doubted themselves in some way, shape or form, you know, so that's there's comforting in there's comfort in knowing that, you know, everyone, even the you know, people that you read and you go, this is stupidly good, like how talented this person is. They'll tell you, they'll go, oh, you know, I doubt it and stuff like that. But I always like hearing stories such as your own where it was like, yes, I did feel that, you know, I was embattled by that for a while. But then, you know, I prevailed, I had good folks around me and that's all you can really kind of do, I guess, in this life area is to surround yourself with, with good folks that love you and you love them back and then you just keep doing what you're doing. And obviously you are and I'm looking forward to book four.
1: Oh, thank you very much, Samuel. And I'm looking forward to seeing your books on the shelves someday, hopefully very soon.
0: Fingers crossed, fingers crossed. But look, in the interim, thank you again and you have a lovely day now.
1: Excellent, you keep reading.
0: So everyone, that was Maya Linnell talking to me about her third novel, Magpies Bend. Uh, I'm going to put the link to uh, Alan Nunwin. They're the good folks that published uh, this title and Maya's other titles as well. So I'm going to put the link to that on the biography slash description of this episode, wherever you're listening to this on, be it Spotify, SoundCloud, uh, anywhere else that, uh, that that you might be listening to it that I'm not actually aware of, a Stitcher for one. Uh, I think that it could still potentially be on there. Uh, big, huge round of applause to Maylonel for having such a wonderful chat with me about her uh, new novel, Magpies Ben. Uh, thank you to you, dear listener, as always, for listening to the program. Going back, listening to the other episodes as well. Loving seeing that. Um, some of them are getting, getting long in the tooth now in terms of those episodes being up for. So some of them from around November of last year. So the thought of... um you guys going back and listening to those other previous episodes particularly in those uh those you know when the podcast was not even in infancy it was it was a foray into podcasting for me so i was still kind of touch and go with learning it all uh, i really appreciate you guys listening to those uh, and the good vibe set my way for that so thank you very much follow if you haven't keep listening uh, I do say it, but there is a hell of a lot more guests that are coming up in the coming weeks, months. and fully booked up until around late August, September time at this point. So it is a... Uh, I think I mentioned it in one of the earlier outros and one of the other episodes that it's a good problem to have. It really is a good problem to have because I'm really talking to some incredible writers, some really cool people, um, and I want to keep doing that, and I'm excited to keep doing that. So may it never not be a problem of uh, juggling a balancing act of... Balancing when I can speak to all these wonderful novelists and writers and creatives as well as obviously I uh, keep chipping away at my own long form work there as well so that maybe one day just maybe you guys will be able to read it with your eyeballs but um, look thank you so much give it a follow if you haven't already stay tuned a lot more episodes coming out to you I can assure you of that you all have a wonderful afternoon now.